Sisters podcast with Nicole and John Ellen. Well, hello and welcome back. Welcome to this podcast, uh, the final installment on mm. the 10 raw principles of trauma-informed yoga and teaching. As and we attempt, living. And living. As we attempt to get the last four into this one podcast. Mm. Mm, challenge accepted. Challenge mm. accepted. So we've kind of touched on this one already, but let's touch on it directly. Let's go right at it. It's number seven. Observation is your greatest teacher. And this one again comes with this wonderful subtitle. Learning comes from the quiet mind, listening and paying attention. Mm-hmm. Mm. So starting it off from the more yoga teaching or just teaching context, observa- observation observation truly is your greatest teacher. Um, you know, it's what we talked about in the last podcast is this, in a way, getting out of our own way. But when you first start out teaching anything, you're just going off what you've learned. It's like out of a book, what you know in your experience, and that's relatively limited. And then as you move into your practice of teaching, you start to use the amazing tool of observation. Mm. And from yoga teaching, this has changed everything for me because I started to observe what I was doing wasn't necessarily landing for everybody and didn't have as much of the empowering outcome as I had wanted from the practices or what I felt could could happen. And so observing different different bodies and different movement patterns and even just people's different stories, what they turn up with, what they feel comfortable with. Some language doesn't land as well. Some types of words, you know, what we can use, um, whether it is language or how we, how we give cues for a pose, they really are cultivated from the observations of students. And also the observation in my own body and my own experience and being really honest with that rather than just this is what I do or this is what is right and this is what is wrong it was like can I drop into a different layer of this real deep observation to become more attuned become more competent Mm. with what I'm offering so it's a very valuable tool and something that is seemingly annoying because you can't learn it out of a book you can't you can't learn it fast it's, it's again time. It's the process of actually turning up and teaching and knowing that all of us make mistakes because we're human and that uh, I don't want to call them mistakes, but it's this, this idea that mistakes and failure are something bad, but they're just a part of a process, mm-hmm. all processes, whether it's in nature or it's in, um, in our lives. And so observation is the ability to know I'm making mistakes and I'm failing. And now how can I really take the wisdom out of it? I'm going to get to the seed of it and then move forward in a much more empowering and open and uplifted way. Yes. And it's very, very important to have a process of reflection um, sometimes during, but after you've presented your class or whatever your teaching format is so that you can take a moment to reflect as well Um, because something like yoga or well really everything is so contextual it so depends on the people you're delivering to the people that showed up that day um, the time of the week the time of the day the time of the year what season it is all of these things are so important and so if you start really observing in relation to the context as well, 
you start to generate a lot more internal wisdom. You can start to generate a lot more internal data, which leads you to the wisdom. So if you're observing from this place of, okay, that worked before, but it didn't work today, why? And without the process of reflection, the observation is just that. It's just a pile of data. So then you you take these moments to reflect, to to remember what you observe, to start to process that and go, okay, maybe it was this, maybe it was that. You try again, you fail or succeed, and that's that's the learning. And knowing that everything is so fluid, everything is so changeable, everything is so malleable that even when you think you've mastered something, you haven't. <laughs> you really just haven't because it's going to change. Um, and one of my one of my favorite lines is, as soon as you get used to it, it changes. Mm. And this is the practice of humility, which we touched on as well in the last one. But humility is so important and observation is also a key driving force to to living from a more humble place. And this principle, like <clears throat> most of them, you can really take it out into your into your life well off the mat, well out of teaching or your practice. Um, just knowing that observation, it's like listening, is your greatest teacher. You know, you're, you're learning Mindfulness something. Mindfulness is your greatest teacher. <laughs> yeah. You're learning something if you're observing and listening. And, you know, in the world, we, we exist with all these other beings, humans, animals, insects, Mother Nature herself. And when we can observe and listen, we ultimately come into a space of more compassion, more understanding. Because as soon as we're just presenting ourselves and our beliefs and our knowings to the world as the only way, we become very rigid and just kind of lose sight of, of the wider experience, the human experience, and not being able to see that we all turn up with our own opinions and ideals and beliefs and our way of moving in the world and our way of creating, rather than discrediting somebody else for not doing it the way you do, it's deeply observing and listening to be like, wow, that's why they're like that whether it comes from a past kind of trauma pattern or it comes from a different type of knowledge from a different cultural perspective or anything else. Observation really allows our lives to be filled with color and richness and joy because we can see how we're all so different in a sense. Mm. And then we can operate and we can think, how can I expand my own way of being to be more inclusive through the tool of the observation and reflection? Yes. That observation leads to understanding, and understanding ultimately leads, leads to love. Love. Mm. And let's slide now to mm. number eight. Number eight. Principle eight. Move from gross to subtle. Um, and sometimes I like to say move from pattern to detail. You uh, do like to say that. Yes, mm. leaning on into um, some of my training in permaculture um, and basically training in design and that there's always this opportunity to to look at the detail maybe you get stuck in the detail and it's necessary to move back out to the pattern and then come back into the detail but if you don't know the pattern the detail has no context so if you don't know the gross the outside then the subtle or the inside has no context because everything is relative everything exists nested within something else and so this ability to move from gross to subtle builds this subtle awareness and um, this principle comes with the subtitle subtle awareness takes practice so be patient with yourself and with your students and if you're observing 
from our previous principle, then you might know that some students can drop straight into these subtle ideas, these deeper levels of understanding, these deeper levels of interoception of going internal. And some, some take a little bit longer. And so be patient. Mm. Be patient. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it becomes, again, our own, our own judgment and our own lens being put on ourselves or on other people about how fast they should be doing things or how they should be hearing our cues or words. And this, again, very much is related to teaching yoga and practicing yoga and very much correlates to our lives in general. Mm-hmm. But um, on the mat, you know, it's so often that you have to actually learn what a down dog is. You have to be able to understand, put your hands there, put your feet here, lift your butt. Um, and it's this very gross kind of physical expression. And then over time, you can do down dog thousands of times, but the more you do it, the more you go on this much deeper internal journey mm. with your breath and with sensations and slight adjustments and and you can kind of get caught in all of it, but it becomes a really beautiful process. It's not boring. Nothing is boring if you're always in this process of moving from gross to subtle and, and it, it can cycle, right? Like it's, it's not necessarily just one line because we're not linear and this human experience is not linear. It is like a whole bunch of spirals all moving on top and crossing over. And so we're moving, think of it more like a, um, infinity symbol this gross to subtle you're kind of going back out and then in and then you go back out to the gross and then back into the subtle and in that way you really allow yourself to to enjoy the ride to enjoy the journey and not be too stuck in either direction because I think what happens especially in the yoga world is that because um, when it came to the west it was all about the physical asana and then it kind of got oh well this isn't what yoga is you know it's more about it's the path to meditation it's the path to these more subtle practices and while saying that kind of discrediting discrediting sorry the importance of the gross stage of having to actually we fine tune the body through physical asana but also you you can't just jump into subtle awareness if you're not embodied in your physical body Mm. and it's, this is not about saying one is better than the other. It is an ongoing process, but it also weaves in and out. Like I've just mentioned, it's not linear. And when we understand this, when we really understand this, we're so much more open for our students and for ourselves in a practice that I like doing things that are very gross and physical. And then I really like doing things that are very, very subtle. And it's this enjoying the whole range of the human experience like you're allowed to enjoy having a physical body, even if you see yourself as quite a spiritual person, you're allowed to have both because isn't it amazing that you were born on earth with a physical body, that you're here, you're not somewhere else or you'd be somewhere else. So enjoying it all and being in this process, I think is very magical and worthwhile. Mm. But understanding that through a learning process, we all go from gross subtle mm. and it's and it's also important to remember it's all relative what, mm. what's gross uh, at one time might be considered already a subtle stage for somebody else <laughs> yeah. and what's considered subtle for someone early or even late in their journey would be considered gross to somebody else so the there's obviously scales of relativity here as well mm. that we need to consider um so yeah, observation and, and is your greatest teacher when you're starting is, to present John. this <laughs> it is and it's being if you are a yoga teacher or you sort of teach that like the way you cue 
you know, sometimes we can be cueing like a warrior too, but with all these subtle cues and people are just staring at you like, what is, what are they talking about? <laughs> and that's where you come back to observation of like, oh, well, my dosage is too high here. And from a trauma-informed point of view, we talk about this idea of dosage of, it's that like you can overdose with too many choices, but you can also kind of overdose mm. <laughs> someone with, with too many, too much subtle awareness, too many yeah. subtle cues. And actually they're like, can you just tell me where to put my foot? And what, like, what do I do? Because this doesn't feel good on my knee or whatever it is. But again, I think also when you're doing a lot of these practices or you might consider yourself more in that kind of spiritual world, even just interacting with people who maybe don't live a life like that, we can tend to bombard them with our ideals or these spiritual concepts. And again, recognizing that this is a form of subtle awareness, actually, mm -hmm. and to just meet people where they're at in, in this process of, of gross to subtle. Yes. And if you were painting a picture, if you were drawing a picture, you would start with the, the gross outline first. If you start with the shading, mm -hmm. you've actually got nowhere to shade if you haven't done the outline. I need the circle. Yeah. <laughs> Where's my circle? <laughs> Do you yes. like some shading? But dosage, very important and lovely um, segue into number nine. <laughs> Thank there. you, John. Mm, because number nine, principle number nine, is all about invitation and choice at every opportunity. Mm -hmm. Now comes with the subtitle here. Invitational language and correct dosage of choice leads to trauma-informed teaching. Slash living. Slash living. Because this bad boy goes well out into our lives. Absolutely. And so invitational language um, is basically the, the concept of moving away from the teacher as the dictator. The teacher as the, I know best, I know exactly what you need right now. I know what to do. I know what the answers are. They're in the back of the book. I'm not going to tell you, but I'm going to let you know that you're wrong when you're wrong, etc., etc. And so invitational language is the antithesis of that. It's the... The class that might start with, maybe, now, you might like to join me for some yoga. Maybe, you might like to close down your eyes as we begin this breathing practice. Or you might like to keep a soft gaze. Or you might like to just look at me. Mm. And so, all of that invitation provides the choice first of all, to do or not to do. And so that's instantly giving us an A or B choice just by presenting an invitation to begin with. And then from that, we can start to add more choice, more options, this or that, A or B, A or B or C, and just being mindful that too much choice can present itself as confusion or overwhelm. It can very much overload the system. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's really hard if you just, you're looking for those guidelines, which most of us are, but it's a, so it's a delicate dance of offering choice in an empowering way. And this is done through observation and just kind of watching and knowing. And we've, we've definitely had, you know, students who have learned the style who have used overdosage where they've sort of given way too much freedom of you can do whatever you want. And then people are just there like, staring at them like what do you what do you mean like if you went into the gelato shop and there were four flavors you might be able to make a decision pretty quickly now if there's 26 flavors you're probably going to spend 
a little bit more time going, oh, is it that one? Oh, is it that maple pecan? Oh, <laughs> is it that apple with elderflower? Is it that? And all of these things start to become a little bit more considered, which means, <clears throat> excuse me, which means they take a little bit more time. And so depending on how much time you want to give someone to make a decision is also something to consider in regards to dosage as well. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, when we first started using this language, a part of me was like, oh, is this actually going to make any difference? Like, Seems a bit whifty. It does seem a bit whifty. And it, it just sort of was like, well, what really what's the difference and what is it doing? But through a few years now of doing it and through observation mainly. And so much feedback. So much feedback. It is amazing. Amazing. <laughs> and um, <laughs> just like, oh, I really just liked having that choice or it feels really good here or I always feel really safe or all of these, these this amazing feedback, but also observing students in their practice and watching people just starting to come into their own and taking little more adjustments, more taking time for the nuance of kind of finding alignment and shapes or choosing different things on different days. And you can see that they can then modify for the mood they're in or how they've turned up. And watching the level of integrity that is in the students that we have now is just one of the most beautiful things I have ever seen. I've witnessed it over time of giving choice and invitation back. And I don't even know that a lot of our students would even know what has happened necessarily or changed. But because when they're in the state, you're talking to the body. And when we're talking to the body, you are talking to past trauma. And you are saying, you have a choice. You have an option here. You are worthy of coming home to yourself mm. and choosing what works for you. Mm. And that is what you were saying to a traumatized body, whether the person in their conscious mind knows it or not. But over time, and initially, people will just sort of take what everyone else is taking, especially if they have that form of um, trauma or just being generally controlled, which all of us have. And they're kind of like, oh, what, what do you mean? And then you watch it over a few classes and they get it and they're closing their eyes and they're just like, not that that's better than not, but I mean, in the sense of just going in and listening to their experience, as opposed to what I or the other teacher might be saying, it's more about thanks for the guidelines. Now let me filter it through my system and see where I want to go. And that shit is so cool. I swore mm. again, <laughs> but it is amazing. And it just, it just fills me up to see that we can, we can actually bring back choice. We can bring back personal power all by simply changing language, which again goes way beyond the yoga mat. How often in any of our, any other places in our lives are we truly given invitation and choice at every opportunity where we could make the decision, what happens to our bodies, where we actually get informed consent where we are able to truly filter it through ourselves and be like, oh, thanks for all the information. And now I'm going to make my, my own choice. So our world would look dramatically different. And I truly believe for the better that we could live in a trauma informed world that would uplift and inspire actually everybody. Mm. And our world is in some ways stepping towards this. There mm -hmm. has, there has been moments, you know, there have been moments where, where, Things are being given back. Choice is being given back to the consumer. Um, the the model of using the um, customer is always right uh, as your baseline has started to give choice back to the consumer from even down to something like a burger. Now, 
Previously, if you were the person that wanted to make a modification to your burger, the joke would be that the person back there in the kitchen would probably spit in it because you were being the annoying customer who wanted to change something. Now we have apps and we can select and, and delete certain items from the mm. burger. You know, maybe you do want pineapple today. Maybe you don't want avocado. Maybe you do want sauce or mayo added to that. We are talking about our favorite burger. <laughs> <laughs> that, that you can have those things now without being that annoying person. And so our society has this starting to permeate in these interesting ways so we're not saying that choices have been taken away all over the place all of the time. There's so many people doing such amazing things and they might not recognize it as trauma-informed, but it is. But we do. Yeah. <laughs> we go to a trauma-informed burger joint. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Guys, it is burger fuel. <laughs> if you're in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Are we going to move on to number um 10, which guys, I'm going to say it because it's my favorite. Yes, you're more than welcome. The reason it's my favorite is because when I started my yoga, my first yoga teacher training, um, it was basically the quote that was on the wall. We've slightly modified it. Slightly modified. Yes. But it, it, you know, those moments where you're like doing something and your life is changing and then you read that quote and you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, that's it. It was such a light bulb moment for me. And the principle is, through self-led discipline comes true freedom. Now, why this had such a huge impact on me is because I'm definitely on the rebellious side of things. <laughs> and Not really a rule follower. No, I'm not, I'm not a fan of authority, let's just say. <laughs> it's why I have to do my own things. Um, and so when I started yoga, it was the first time that I had such a strong discipline that I was so dedicated to doing something and sacrificing other things to do the thing that I wanted to do. And I saw this quote and I was like, oh, shit. The reason was, is that it was my chosen discipline. And I'd always thought before that to be free was just basically to rebel against everything, you know, that I was just going to go and do what I wanted, which just kind of meant I did nothing and couldn't figure out how to find what I was passionate about or, or what brought me alive. And it was this misunderstanding of what, of how to access freedom. And so this idea of self-led discipline, discipline comes true freedom. It's like, I chose my discipline. I did it in my way, in my timing, and I found my freedom. And with what we, through trauma-informed and everything we do, is wanting to open this door for people to say, if you can find your own chosen discipline, your practices, the way you, that the, your own rhythm in your life, then you will access freedom. No one else can open that door for you. You gotta, you gotta figure out what your discipline is, right? And even the word discipline can be relatively triggering, triggering, mm. but it's like, take the word back, take your power back, say it's my discipline. And I do this because I actually enjoy it. You know, we meditate every morning because that's our chosen discipline, not because someone else is telling us we have to do that or else, you know, this isn't about original sin or the wrath of God. This is saying, I want to feel good. And involved in that, like folded into that is so much choice. We don't do the exact same meditation every morning. Or at the exact same time. Mm. We just meditate every morning. It's generally as soon as we get up. Sometimes it's at the end of the day, you know, but it's there. It's a discipline. It's something that we've committed to doing Every day. 
Mm. Simple as that. Yeah. So I know that moving my body is essential and all of these different things. And there's so many of them of just like, this is, this is the way I choose to live and to be so I can be the person that I want to be. You know, it's a it's a really amazing thing. And I can't think where we actually learned this, but I might get you to talk about it. It's it's this idea of actually healthily, healthily, mm, good is word. that a word? It is Not, now. Uh, healthily, yeah. attaching something to your ego. Do you want to talk ah, about that? Yes. And that the, the ego itself is a mechanism, right? And from this perspective, you can use the ego, you can use this idea of the I rather than saying, um, I want to practice meditating every day. I'm going to try and meditate every day. You say, I am someone who meditates every day. So that attaches something to your identity. And then it becomes a different process in the brain. If it's something that you have actually identified with, you have much more success at being disciplined at making it a discipline because you've attached it to your, your identity. So a perceivably negative variation of that would be, oh, I'm a smoker. Mm. Or maybe, depending on your perception, I'm a non-smoker. And that's, a, that's, a, that's an I am statement. That's an identity statement. And so if you, if you say, I'm a meditator for the purpose of this example, then you're attaching it to your identity and that gives you this different ability to stay true to it because it's part of who you are mm. and that's a way to to hold it in the let's call it the discipline area of the brain mm. if there is such a thing <laughs> or the heart idea yes. or some people like to talk about it like it's a muscle so if you don't exercise the muscle of discipline the muscle of discipline gets weak because you'll find once you have a particular discipline, it's easy to add more. Mm. It's easy to be more disciplined about other things in your life once you do have a discipline. Um, and it's being careful that that discipline isn't a numbing technique. That <laughs> it's a freedom technique. That it is very much a freedom technique. Yeah. You don't need to be disciplined at watching your TV show every night. No, that's not what we're talking about. No. It's where you actually access more freedom and joy. And if you don't feel that, it's looking at life. But again, with this, it's a process. It takes a lot of self-awareness and reflection because, you know, so often our kind of, our mind and our sort of mind ego complex is just, it, it creates a lot of delusion and stuff that's not real and stuff that's not necessarily for our greater good. And that all comes back to the fact that we have trauma and the way trauma has actually sort of landed in the body and our subconscious, it distorts a lot of our worldviews, which is where we get limiting beliefs. And limiting beliefs from our sort of subconscious point of view, it, it, they're all always just trying to prove themselves right. So it, it's like you can just imagine everything running backwards, basically. And this process of finding practice and discipline in this way is kind of bringing yourself back to your heart and bringing yourself back into, into more coherence. So you know what works for you. And that in itself is a process. And we will talk more about limiting beliefs, just not um, not here and now, because it's quite a big a big topic. <laughs> yes. And you think this process of discipline, what you're doing is you're you're creating new neural pathways. Yeah. And um, the analogy is that the 
the pathway, the well-trodden path, you know, it doesn't have any, any of the jungle, any of the leaves hanging over it and blocking the way because you've walked it so many times. So when you're initially starting out, then there's a process of, of getting out the machete and clearing the way so that you can walk a different path, so that you can create this new neural connection and start to fire and wire these neurons together so that it starts to become more familiar and more easeful and eventually the new way that you want to go becomes the well-trodden path and that is a real it's a real benefit to you if it's if it's the path of least resistance and eventually it will become that and it will feel unnatural not to be in your discipline Mm. and I think a, a very important thing to remember is if the work works it's working but if but it's not initially <laughs> not initially but if you're in this process of self-reflection if you're in this process mm-hmm. of continually checking in with yourself you can recognize your life and maybe the way it's changing because of the practices you're doing and you can say hey this practice is working for me i'm going to continue doing it and if you look at your life and you think oh this practice isn't working for me then maybe it's not your practice you might need to alter it maybe just slightly Yeah, you might uh, need to alter it quite significantly, but without reflecting, you you won't have the ability to recognize that. So the continuation of a self-reflection practice is very, very important to work with this principle. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, yeah, you sort of, you can think of it like you need about three months Mm. Or when we were like, you know, we're such on and off meditators. I was always like, oh, yeah. Maybe today. Uh, and oh, we then, did two days ago. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. And then it was like, oh, we're just going to do 100 days in a row. And if we miss a day, we've got to start back from one. And it's literally just going up against the ego and those limiting beliefs and be like, right, I want to do this. Like, I know that the conscious part of me that that is reflecting, that is that is aware, wants to actually give this a really good try. And so we did 100 days and they were gross. Like there were days <laughs> I was like, oh, nah. And every other thought under the sun of why you shouldn't and basically like why it's bad and just everything. I was like, wow, amazing. But then after the 100 days, I'm like, now I look forward to it, you know, and it's just a part of who we are and what we do. And and it's so beneficial. And I mean, if I could, I could do several podcasts on just how my life has changed since having having a discipline Um couldn't have imagined it would be as magical mm. as it is. Couldn't imagine I could it's do the things that I'm doing ah. um, that I wasn't before. Like it's such a radical transformation that, yeah, we can't recommend it enough. We do not say this because we read it out of a book once. We say it because we've done it. And mm. it's 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 incredibly worthwhile when you know how to figure out what you want to do. But that process isn't – it's not separate from you. Everybody knows how to reflect. Everybody knows – how to actually just come home to themselves. You have a heart, it's there. And it's just sort of gradually and slowly and being really patient with yourself, um, but walking yourself back home basically. And in, in actual fact, that's what we're all doing. We're yes. walking each other home. And thank you for walking this um, <laughs> path. Great master. Thank you for walking this path of the raw principles with us. Um, thank you for being here for the whole journey. If you've listened to We've all, had a great time. Yeah, if you've listened to all three of these um, episodes, um, and yeah, so we will be kind of changing gears 
um, if you have anything specific you would like us to chat about you know if you've if you've heard us talk or if you've if you've been on trainings with us if you've been to classes with us and you're like i heard you talk about that thing once upon it can you actually talk about that give yourselves you know half an hour or so just talk about that one little thing we'd <clears> love to we'd love to yeah <laughs> not that we're actually sort of an, of our own ideas but <laughs> <laughs> but you know we want to do what the people what the people want to hear yeah it's cool we really appreciate that you're listening yes. it's real cool um and we'll We'll see you next time. We won't yes. see you, but we'll assume you're listening next time. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye for now. We love you. The Radical Awareness Podcast. Mm-hmm.